Welcome to episode two of our global review. We last left off with Mr. Monaco and Miss Sullivan in the French Revolution and Napoleon Bonaparte. If you're following along on the review sheet, you are on the question, how did the French Revolution... That's, that's a child again in the background. He's just, just banging a stick. But I feel like that's no different than somebody pet tapping their pencil in class or like snoring. Like, the father is passed out on the ground right now. We just ran 26 miles and installed a pool. That's actually nonfiction. That is true. Just ran 26 miles and installed a pool. What did I do today? Jack. <laughs> yeah, that's also the son of my name. I like the name of my son. Name of my son. Yeah, yeah, I played with him all day. So, anyways, if you're on the review, how did the French Revolution lead to other resistance movements? Well, the easy answer here, and underneath I would write, it inspired others to fight against oppressive governments that did not protect their rights. Because, again, once a government does not meet the needs of its people, as John Locke said, what do they have a right to do? Overthrow. Revolution. Now, underneath, this is going to inspire two other revolutions. The names that you have to know are Toussaint Louverture, who's actually the picture on the bottom, and Simone Bolivar, the picture of the dapper man up top. Mm. Did you ever see the Boulevard movie? Mm-mm. It's a foreign flick, but it's super good. Is it? Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to watch that. Oh, okay. Maybe I would. I mean, it's historical <laughs> fiction. I don't know. Yeah, I'd watch it, actually. What's your favorite historical movie? Gladiator. Oh, mine's Terminator 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm just kidding. It's Oliver Twist, but we're going to get there. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Toussaint Louverture. What do you want your kids to know about it? Okay, Toussaint Louverture and a educated slave. And if we know anything about history, know that educated people lead revolutions. The bourgeoisie were educated in France. Napoleon Ooh. was educated. Simon Bolivar and Toussaint Louverture are educated. And going even fast forward through history, Len- Lenin, Vladimir Lenin in Russia was also educated because educated people question. Now, if you can hear names well enough and match them to nationalities, Toussaint Louverture sounds French. It's where he's going to get the ideas from. He's actually a former slave from Haiti which is just below the United States. We're in Latin America, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. Everything south of the United States. He's going to lead a revolution. You may see the words against France, but it's against French landowners in Haiti, okay? He's going to become the symbol of the fight against, here's the word again, tyranny, T-Y-R-A-N-N-Y. Simone Boulevard is going to be a little bit further south. He is going to be considered a class of citizen known as Creole, in the encomienda system. In that, he's going to be a middle-class person who leads, uh, leads his revolutionaries in South America. His goal was to re- rebel against Spanish landowners and eventually unify all of South America into one big country. Gran Colombia? Gran Colombia. Yeah, and the one big country called Gran Colombia. But there was a problem. The geographic features of South America were too dividing. They split up the people too much. He was never able to achieve this full goal, but eventually all of South America would be freed from Spanish rule. 
Simon Bolivar actually died believing he was a failure, thinking he was not able to create this United States of Latin America, you can think of it as. But really, people on one side of the Andes Mountains didn't want to be hanging out with people on the other side of the Amazon rainforest. They were like, man, they're weird, so we don't want to be part of their country. Which is why today you have many different countries in Latin America. Bunch of weirdos. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So with all of these strong feelings about culture and country... You're bound to feel a type of pride in one group or something that you belong to. And this feeling of pride in your country can be explained in one word. Nationalism. Nationalism. Anybody else feel like it's just kind of the cause of all problems in history? Basically. Basically. I also think it's important to note that you don't have to have a country to be nationalistic. Oh, are you referring to Zionism? Great, great example. Zionism would be a great example of that, right? This nation of Jewish people who are without a country, and they want, you ready for this fancy word? Sovereignty. We're going to get to that later. If you're Mm. looking at the review packet, like, what the hell are they talking about? (laughs) Just store those words in the back of your brain. We're going to start with a little bit of an earlier history with nationalism. And above where it says unification of Italy and Germany, above that, I would write in the word nationalism, and I would just put it equals pride in your country. Or your nation of people. Or your nation nation of people. Which is a group of people with a common characteristic. So for the unification of Italy and Germany, it's, it's important to note that these two places were not even unified or countries before the 1900s. Both were really trying to find a way to come together under one government. They have main players who are going to help make this happen. My favorite main player in all of nationalism, the OVB, Otto von Bismarck. Get down with OVB. Yeah, you know me. Get down with OVB. He, United Germany. Ah! That was good. I actually had a German exchange student a few years ago. Oh, yeah? And I was like, yo, OVB, man. Is he like your George Washington? He was like, we all hate him more than Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get that he, Yeah, he's the whole basis of blood and iron. Military. Blood and iron. That's right. So underneath Otto von Bismarck, he's going to use a policy of blood and iron, which the symbolism should be pretty easy to understand. Blood is going to equal militarism and war. Iron is going to lead us into the age of industrialization. This idea of creating factories with natural resources and raw materials to improve their economy. And it's going to work. Germany is going to unite. They are going to be a strong military that nobody's going to see coming. And they're going to have lots of money from all of the raw materials they turn into industrialized goods. Pretty big idea. Mm -hmm. Before Bismarck and a guy in Italy, who's the Bismarck of Italy. Benito Mussolini. (laughs) I was thinking just Giuseppe Garibaldi. (laughs) And the black hand. Yeah, uh, that's black hands in Eastern Europe. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to think in Italy and in Germany today, we know them as one country. But before these guys came along, you had Italian people who ate pizza and spoke Italian. (laughs) But they had different leaders, 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 leaders with different sets of laws, 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 laws. They wanted one leader with one set of laws. (laughs) Same thing in Germany. And that's what these guys created. It was one strong, unified Italy and one strong, unified Germany. Well said. Mm -hmm. Much better than me. Very long-term cause here of World War I and World War II or historical context. Or circumstance. Mm -hmm. Now, in these cases, I would argue... That in, a, in the simplest terms, 
Nationalism was positive. It unified people. But nationalism can also be dividing and break up people, which are our next examples underneath. So maybe I would put like a little plus sign next to unification of Italy and Germany because it was positive. Maybe a subtraction sign next to the breakup of the Ottoman and Austrian empires. Mm. See what I did there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 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 And the Ottoman Empire <coughs> is going to have <coughs> a nickname at this time. <coughs> Are you sick? I am the sick man of Europe. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Who had this idea? Not me. Not this guy. <laughs> the Ottoman Empire is going to be known as the sick man of Europe. And it's because, it's because they're going to have... They're going to have some problems like in their shoulder or the, or in their neck. Maybe some <laughs> tension. I don't know. Is that is that ethnic tension? Uh, I think that is ethnic tension. Ethnic. Similar to the Austro-Hungarian Empire. That's right. All these different ethnic groups, even though they're pretty similar in their language and their customs and their dress and their food, they just can't seem to find a common ground. And these different ethnicities in the Ottoman Empire and the Austrian Empire are going to want their own land for their own people. This tension will lead to some violence and eventually the rebordering of their nations where these different ethnic groups get their own land. But even though the lands are going to be smaller, the tensions will still exist. And eventually these tensions will most definitely lead to the war, or the beginning of World War I, which begins with which major event in history? The assassination of Franz Duke Ferdinand. Shots because of who he was. Shots Fired. The Black Hand, which was a terrorist organization led by a dude named Gavrilo Princip, shot Franz Ferdinand and his wifey, Sophia, who was pregnant, by the way. Really? Uh, yeah, she Franz, shot, you shot her right in the stomach. Yeah. Oh. She got killed, he got killed, and obviously the no more heir to the throne either. Because Mama Bear got killed. But anyway. Jesus. What kind mm. of Goldilocks story is this? <laughs> there were basically these people in the Austrian Empire who said, hey, we want, there's that fancy word again, sovereignty. And we want you to know that we don't want to be ruled by a German-speaking, beer-drinking, schnitzel-eating Austrian guy. We want to be ruled by somebody who's Slavic. Yeah. Sorry, I just got ahead. That's led to No, that's horrible. great. That's okay. great. Okay. All right, our next major topic, 10.3, causes and effects of the Industrial Revolution. And I feel as though this part of the year probably felt like at least five months of study. (laughs) The causes and effects of industrialization. Let's start with the... An actual event in history that helped to cause it. The agricultural or agrarian revolution. Are you with me? I'm with you. I don't have that in my notes. Is it in our notes or no? That's Uh, okay because I know about it. Oh, did I skip something? I have breakup of the Ottoman Empire. I think I'm just missing a chunk, honestly. Oh, oh, never mind. Maybe my... um, You're on this page. I'm... uh, Okay, got it. Sorry, back in business here. We're back in business. Nobody panic. Your review is going to resume. All right. (laughs) So, the agricultural or agrarian revolution. Agriculture, of course, being a major enduring issue or theme throughout history. It just means farming. And revolutions like this, non-political revolutions, usually mean there's going to be an advancement for humankind. The advancements in this? Well, new technologies in farming is going to allow for greater production. In general, this is a really big positive. Technology like plows, the creation of crop rotations, seed drills, all of these causes are great. They make farmers' jobs easier. There's just one major problem. 
What happens to the farmers? They are now displaced. Ooh. Where were they forced to move to? They were forced to move to the city. Oh my god, is there a word for that? Urbanization. (laughs) This is great. These farm these these people who were once peasants who did not own their own land, who used to dig a hole, plant the seed, cover the seed, water it, dig a hole, plant the seed, cover the seed, water it, dig a hole, plant the seed, cover the seed, water it. Their job was replaced by a seed drill. So suddenly Mr. Monaco, his honey bunny, and his nine kids were no longer needed. Are you talking they, about Mrs. Monaco? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they moved into the city because now they had a reliable food source from uh the the piece of land they previously lived on in the use of the seed drills. Does that this, make sense? That's great. Okay. This is this is a lot like Andrew Yang. Do you know who that is? No. No, he's running for president in 2020, but mm-hmm. his big platform is that immigrants aren't taking our jobs. People have, like, displaced their anger. It's actually automation that's taking all of our jobs. Andrew Yang is not wrong, I don't <laughs> think. Andrew Yang is not wrong. He also wants to give everybody the Freedom, freedom Dividend Act. $1,000 a month for every citizen over the age of 18, no matter how much or how little money you make. Wow. And he says it's your return on your investment in this country. It'll help cover things for, like, either medicine, health care, uh, babysitting, daycare. And wow. he, yeah, it's actually a pretty interesting idea. And he goes, you know, people are like, well, where are you going to get the money? And he basically is like, his slogan, like where Donald Trump's was MAGA, his mm-hmm. hat just says math. And he has, like, all of these different, like, algorithms to solve it. Hmm. Worth looking up, Andrew Yang, 2020. I've mm. already donated $20 to him. Wow. Because you need donations to get into the um, debates. Mm. So mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, he's there. I can't wait. He's cracked the top ten. Huh. So there's your outside information for the agricultural revolution. <laughs> Automation is replacing us. We're all going to die because of robots. Mm-hmm. Terminator 2, best historical movie of all time. <laughs> hey, what does a nation need in order to industrialize? Well, in Great Britain, yeah. they needed labor. That's right. Which oh, now, what does that call? What does they call it on the regents' exam? Is, um, is, uh, la- was it labor? I believe they call it labor. Yeah, and sure. They have a Human lot resources. of labor because in Great Britain, now that you have a reliable food source, a reliable, people are now living longer. So there is a huge population boom because they are now, is instead they, of dying in, at the age of 45, they're dying at the age of 65. People are not doing it more. They're actually doing it less. Yet there is a I'm huge sorry. population boom. Where is this going? <laughs> I, I was Because people, when our kids hear population boom, they think baby boom. People are making more babies. I mean, people are making babies. All In the case of, of the Industrial Revolution, though, people were actually making less babies. Because There's 8 they, billion people on the planet are, for a reason. Because they're living longer. That's, That's why. Eventually. Andrew Yang also wants to find more meaningful work for senior citizens. <laughs> <laughs> well, You're right, anyway. though. So All we right. have a higher standard of living. You have a higher standard of living because you have a reliable food source, which is one thing you need for a nation to industrialize. Second thing you need to industrialize, two major natural resources. Do you know which two I'm talking about? Coal. And? Iron ore. Yes, coal and iron. Great Britain, on top of having enough people to be to keep a skilled workforce on top of having natural resources also had a certain geographic feature that opened them up to trade with the rest of the world do you know what i'm talking about i believe that's an island nation that's right they have natural harbors that allowed for this type of trade so underneath how does the industrialization of great britain change a nation's economy well of course they're going to be making more money 
But it's also going to lead to the creation of a new social class. We actually see the emergence of what's known today as the middle class, people with disposable income. Pretty big deal. It's also going to increase trade and wealth, which leads to an author, Adam Smith, who comes up with a pretty big idea. The idea of laissez-faire capitalism. The author, his name is Adam Smith, comes up with the idea of capitalism and the free market. Here we find the ideas of supply and demand. But he says that one major thing has to happen in order for capitalism to be successful. That idea? Non-involvement of the government. There can be no laws about business. There can be no laws about trading. People just get to do it all willy-nilly, like however they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the name of his book is called The Wealth of Nations. So under that, who is the author of Wealth of Nations? I would write in Adam Smith. Miss Sullivan, you think you could rock some positives and negatives of industrialization? Mm. Um, yeah, I was just, my brain was farting out for a second because I was just, that's okay. You have pregnancy, right? Yeah, I do. Do they know? Uh, my students know, yeah. Okay. Your students now know too. Yeah, Miss Sullivan's pregnant. <laughs> Not for me. That's Mr. <laughs> Sullivan. <laughs> All right, so some positives of industrialization. We already said higher standard of living. Is that yep, right? Yep, absolutely. Uh, another positive is cheaper goods. That's exactly right. Better transportation and communication. Yep. Do we say faster and cheaper goods? Faster and cheaper goods, or a word that the region exam likes to use, efficiency. <sighs> Okay, now people used to have two outfits a week, one for Monday through Saturday and their Sunday church clothes. Now you have an outfit for every day, so your standard of living is going to increase. What else in another positive? Anything I'm missing? You know, it, they will throw in there that there's more job opportunities, but I just kind of looked at it as you went from farming to factory work. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And well, there are and more jobs. Even going back to your second question, how does industrialization change a nation's economy? Mr. Monaco mentioned the rise of the middle class. You now suddenly have people you didn't need before. More doctors, more lawyers, but you also That's need true. architects. Increase you in need, education. You need more teachers. You need... You need middle managers on the floor keeping people Ooh, in line. A major you, positive effect, the, mm -hmm. uh, the creation of public education. Yes, you need, um, you need plumbers, you need, you need urban planners, you need street sweepers, you need people who never existed before. They're the people that become this new part of the middle street class. Street sweeper baby. Which is probably what we mean by positive. <laughs> that is, that is all of that and more. Now, the negative effects I think are pretty obvious. We'll just state them pretty simply. One is that we have the exploitation of working class. Mm. You all are exploitation. very... Exploitation, good word. Thank you. you. Take advantage of. Yeah, and we all know what the hardships are going to be for people working in factories. Long hours, poor wages, uh, no compensation if there's an accident, child, child labor. labor. Yeah, all of that. And it creates a large gap between the rich and poor. And then, uh-oh, hold on, guys. We lost a baby. Do we have it? He should be safe. Okay. <laughs> Should be. <laughs> Dad's got to get some pizza. <laughs> and then the second one, of course, with industrialization, we have the creation of a factory. I found them. And with factories, you have to have smokestacks for ventilation. And smokestacks lead to pollution. And, and today, climate change. Yeah. Yeah, a long-lasting effect of industrialization can be climate change. We had a really funny debate in our classroom about how... Climate change is such a controversial topic because some people don't believe in it. Yet the New York State government has deemed it all right 
to teach climate change in our public education system. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Can I add another negative effect as poor living conditions as Ooh, well? Tenement living. Mm-hmm. Urbanization happens so fast. People move into the city so quickly that they cannot keep up with the demand for plumbing, with the demand for medicine. You have a spread of cholera because people oh, are soupy, poopy. pooping in the, in the local well and then they're drinking it. Uh, and you have major, major poor living conditions as well as working conditions. Do you guys watch Oliver Twist? We don't. Roman Polanski's. We watch the whole thing. Do you? To, oh, it's so good. Oh, I never, What's I Sir know, Ben I, Kingsley I is famous. I never watched Oliver Twist. Period. I don't have to watch it. This Sir Ben Kingsley. He's also Gandhi. We watch Gandhi right. front to back. Oh, do you? you? Oh my God! You can't. Uh, the whole of it. the whole curriculum is in those okay, two. You're movies. gonna really start ticking off my West students, so we have to stop talking about the full movies because my West Central West students are gonna get real salty here. You guys, okay. Right, never mind. <laughs> so you know why they're salty? Because they got so much flavor. <laughs> uh, who wants to talk Meiji Restoration? Oh, I love the Meiji Restoration. Great. We'll go through the Meiji Restoration, and then we'll stop just before we hit up imperialism. Mm, that's a good place to stop. Yeah, I love imperialism. Mm-hmm. Right there. <laughs> All right. No one else does. <laughs> that's true. It's funny because it's true. Small island nations hate imperialism. So, what was the Meiji Restoration? I mean, I only have two words in one country to say, but if you have anything else to add, I would just say that the Meiji Restoration is a time period of Japanese history in Japan where they increased modernization and westernization because of my favorite character from Friends, Matthew Perry. Mm, Matthew Perry. Yeah, sails to the shore of Japan and says, Hey, Japan, we want to trade with you. With and guns Japan, pointed at their head. And Japan is pretty much like, Well, we don't want to trade with you, but because we don't want to end up like our dope-addicted big brother China and get cut into spheres of influence, we are going to just give in, sign the Treaty of Kanagawa, and willingly open our doors, but we want to be in control of it. When I teach the Meiji Restoration, I teach my students an acronym for M-E-I-J-I. Oh, let's hear it. They modernize their economy. So the M is modernized. The E is economy. They industrialized Japan. Oh, that's the I. That led to imperialism. Wow. Boom. Wow. It's a great way to remember Meiji. They are Holy on all the exams. Cow. <laughs> what the heck is that? Yeah, you like that acronym? I love that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, even though those were amazing <laughs> historical circumstances that led to the Meiji Restoration, we have three effects on Japan. And in my opinion, all of history is just causes and effects. And no matter what Everything. the question is, mm-hmm. you're normally asked some form of what was the cause and what was the effect. Here are three major effects on Japan. The social effects, how did it affect the way people lived? The political effects, how did it change their government? And the economic effects, how did it affect their resources and money-making ability? Let's start with social effects. The major social effect is that Japan is actually going to lose some of their culture through westernization. Depending on which way you look at the globe, Japan is going to be considered the Far East. So... Japan is going to start living like other countries like the Americas or Europe. And they're going to westernize, which can basically be brought down to new clothes, new culture, new language. You guys, I'm guessing, don't watch The Last Samurai. Mm-mm. Do you watch Tom- that? Tom Cruise? Oh my god. I have enjoyed our conversation. CSAT kids are lucky. Dude, we have such a great passing rate, too. <laughs> we just kind of like show the movie and at the end go, Meiji. Yeah. 
It works. It works. Political changes. Anything you wanna you wanna talk about with that? I would say the major political change, and I could be a little off here, is the end of isolation from yes, Tokugawa. End of isolation. And they open themselves up now to trade. The open door policy. Right. So earlier in our last podcast, we talked about the Mughals and the Ottomans who were very open to trade, and at that time. The Tokugawa yes. in Japan were isolated. Love so the that. Meiji Restoration opens to Japan to trade, similar to the Mughals and the Ottomans. Love it. To be opened. That's right. And then, of course, the major economic trade, or economic positives, were that they modernized their country. They're going to have modern education, modern medicine, modern transportation, modern communication, trains, factories, trade. This is going to be really good for their economy. And underneath it asks, how could you compare the Meiji Japan with industrial England? Woo! Wow. Pretty. Heavy. Yeah. Well, Japan is going to modernize faster, actually. And they're going to blend traditional culture with Western culture. Much like India will do with the caste system in their modernization. Ooh, good comparison. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Now, on the back page, 10.3 is where we're going to finish up this episode. We need to evaluate the calls for reform brought on by the Industrial Revolution. And you see four bullet points under there. These four bullet points are going to be the negative effects in how they're addressed from the Industrial Revolution. Hank, you're walking. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Mm-hmm. All right, let's start with expanded suffrage. Ooh, suffrage, a very fancy word, just for the right to vote. You know, I've been really pushing to show Mary Poppins in class just Ooh, because of this. Ooh, that's a good one, Sister Suffragette. Yes! Yeah. Vote for women! <laughs> uh, so, anyways, the expanded suffrage. Working class men and women are going to want the right to vote and have a say in their government. This will also lead to the helping make fairer laws for labor people underneath where we get education and labor reform. For education, we get the creation of public schools because once children couldn't work in factories, what were people going to do with them? You got to put them in school, which also leads to the profession of being a teacher. For labor reforms, people form labor unions, which I find to be an abstract concept for a lot of students. Mm, Yeah, unions basically said, hey... Uh, we have this big giant shark eating us up. If we all work together, we can defeat the shark. Is the idea of a labor union? I think that was Finding Nemo. I'm going to show that too. <laughs> <laughs> the last bullet there, I would put an R with a circle around Marxism. Oh yeah, that's a big regions word here. Yeah, Marxism derived from the root word Karl Marx or root name. <laughs> Karl Marx is going to witness the negative effects of industrialization. He wants to create an economy, okay? And it's important to know here, I think, that Marxism is an economic idea. And it's shown up on the exam as an economic idea. uh, Where they create a classless society where everybody works towards the the same goal. Everybody shares their profits. And everybody basically gets treated like kindergarten class. Everybody gets a milk, everybody shares, and everything is going to work out pretty well. And this will lead eventually to a world where we all use our resources and goods for the benefit of humanity. Well, that was the idea, at least. It was the idea. This will, of course, lead to communist governments who don't follow any of those rules. Not at all. Okay, remember Karl Marx is only going to create this idea in societies 
that we're not passing laws or the reading exam likes to refer to it as legislation or there were some governments that didn't even allow workers to form unions. So when laws are not being passed to help the worker and unions are not being allowed to form, he refers, he moves on to this very radical idea where you basically violently kill all the rich people, the bougie, bourgeoisie, who are exploiting you and that you create this... Classless society. Classless society. You know, your mom is so classless, she could be a Marxist society. Wow. Actually, wow. just kidding. I love your mom. She's one of my favorite people. You know, I heard that if running a marathon was easy, that would be your mom. That's a good one, isn't it? I like that one. Sarah to respond to that, too. I would have said, heck yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mary Monaco's a saint. Yeah, she really is. Uh, underneath is just a topic that seems to show up only once in multiple choice questions, but is worth covering for the... And it really doesn't fit anywhere in the entire curriculum. What it is, I think, though, is a showing that rich people will always take advantage of poor people. And it's a great example of why Marxism would never work. The Irish potato famine is caused because British landlords are going to raise the rent on Irish potato farmers. Uh, they're not going to be able to grow their crops properly. What's going to happen also is that a bacteria is going to kill their crops. They're also going to grow other crops that are not used for food or produce or anything that can really help sustain life. The result of this, millions of Irish are going to die from famine. The second result is that it's going to cause mass migration, much like the Jewish diaspora. Mm, mm. Good one. Mass Thanks. migration is usually what's asked about the Irish potato yeah. famine. And oftentimes the regional exam uses the word blight, a potato oh. blight. B-L-I-G-H-T, the blight of the Irish potato farm. Mm -hmm. The wow. potatoes were turning black. Side note, the average Irish man at this time in Ireland ate 10 to 20 pounds of potatoes a day. Get the hell out. So when the Irish, are, the potatoes are all turning black, you can imagine the people who are starving to death. Outside information, where do potatoes come from? Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, the Americas. That's right. Colombian exchange. That's right. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. really throwing out some stuff here. Really throwing out some heaters. <laughs> Anything else you want to add before we end episode two and move on to imperialism? I think that's, that's good. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you in episode three. All right.